Before beginning this homily, I just want to thank everyone here present, since this is the first time I've celebrated for the 9 o'clock Mass, and to thank you for the warm welcome that I have received in the little time that I've been in this, in this parish. And really, I can't tell you how much. Uh, I do appreciate it. It's not easy being new. And to see how everyone has welcomed me into the parish is very comforting. One of the defects of St. Margaret of York, I must say, is that you never know when to stop introducing yourself. <laughs> I've been here for three weeks, and I guess uh, today is my introduction to the 9 o'clock Mass, even though I've been celebrating the 4.30 for quite some time. I guess you might say I've graduated now. Now I'm ready to take on the tough crowd at 9 and 11. But um, speaking about today's feast day, as we all know, it's the feast of Christ the King. And I think when we understand the history behind these different feasts, the feasts come alive to us. Because I think it's easy to think that, okay, Advent, Christmas, Holy Week, Easter, we know the whole routine and we think, well, the end of the, of the church's year, the last Sunday is Christ the King, and then next Sunday is the beginning of the church's year with Advent. But the history of the Feast of Christ the King is very recent, concerning the 2,000 years of church history. It was started in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. And we might say, well, why? Why a feast to Christ the King? Christ the King, when this country came about precisely having overthrown a king, it's something that kind of, it's something that us as Americans doesn't have any type of resonance within us. It actually has a negative resonance. When we hear feast of Christ the King, I don't want a king. And the reason the Pope started this feast day was because World, World War I had just ended. He was looking out at a humanity that had lived almost a century and a half under the influence of the Enlightenment, an epoch when man said, I no longer need God. I can do it on my own. Just with my own reason, I can do it on my own. I can create the perfect world, a world with no more violence, a world with no hatred, the perfect world that man on his own can create. And that was during the 18th and 19th centuries, leading up to World War I. After having experienced World War I, the Pope was looking at a humanity that was in crisis, a humanity that had said, we can do it on our own, and realized that we couldn't, that we were actually worse without God. And that's when we can go to the gospel passage of today and we can say, well, why is this comforting? I don't think it's comforting at all. We're reading about Christ the King who is judging the sheep and the goats. Not to say that those that are on the right are the sheep here and those that are left on the goats. <laughs> we have the catechumens over here, they're on the left. But, uh, but, uh, we see this gospel passage, and our first reaction is, this is very uncomfortable. Christ is speaking about heaven and hell. How is that comforting as we finish the church's year? It's not comforting at all. And that's where we really need to read the scriptures 
as they were written and not read ourselves and our prejudices into the scriptures. Because what is, what is the liturgy, liturgy telling us today? God is the shepherd, first reading. Then the beginning of Jesus' discourse. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now in our day and age when we can grow, you know, chicken legs out of a Petri dish, shepherding is done with trucks and dogs and very impersonal. But back then Jesus is speaking to the people of his time. When the shepherd lived the life of a sheep. He lived out in the rain. He walked with them. He ate with them. He slept with them. Everything. And we can start to see now what Jesus is trying to tell us. He's saying, I am that shepherd for you. And basically he's saying, what I will judge you on is how you treat your fellow brother or sister. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to love me, then love the ones that I love. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's amazing because as we read through, he doesn't ask us for the impossible. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Ill and you cared for me in prison and you visited me. Jesus doesn't say, I was ill and you cured me. I was in prison and you freed me. Which is what sometimes we can think. That Jesus is interested in the result. He wants perfection. No. No, Jesus doesn't want the result. Look what he says. Ill and you simply cared for me. Not that you cured me. I was in prison, and you didn't come to free me. All I wanted was that you visited me. The minimum amount of Christian love is what Jesus is asking for here. Jesus is saying you will be judged by the love you have for your brother and sister. And here we come for the, I would say, the climax of this whole parable, this whole discourse of Jesus. And he says... Amen, I say to you. Whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did it to me. You did it to me. And here's the key. Here's the radicality of Christ. Here's the, the amazing thing that Christ is telling us. He's saying, don't love your fellow brother motivated for love of me. He's saying, really and actually, what you do to your brother, you do to me. It's interesting because all over the Gospels, the message is conversion. That's the message of the Gospels. Convert and be baptized. Convert and it's again and again and again. And if we go to what that word really means, in English it's translated convert. But the original Greek, what it means is a change of mindset. The essence 
of Christianity. And the reason this gospel passage is at the end of the church's year, it's kind of like summing up everything we've been hearing about, summing up everything that we've been living over a whole year. It's kind of like an end-of-the-year party where we just kind of sum up everything into one phrase. And that summing up is a change of mindset. Metanoia in Greek. And why? Because we're used to seeing our brother as our brother and nothing more. We're used to seeing the defects of the person that sits beside me. We're used to thinking about how the person in the last pew, what he did to me and what he said to me. And Jesus is saying, no, if you want to follow me, you need a change of mindset here before it starts here. Don't love your brother as if I was in your brother. Love your brother and sister, because I am there. Change of the way I see my brother and sister. A change of mindset. A metanoia. A change of mindset. That's the key to the gospel. And that's what Jesus is asking us here. And when we look at the lives of the saints, that's what they did in their lifetime. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Would she have done all that she did simply because she wanted to be nice to those people? She did it because she believed here that what she was doing, she was doing to Jesus. And St. Maximiliano Kolbe, the Polish priest who in the concentration camps during World War II offered his life for someone who was going to be executed by the Nazis, Do you think he offered his life because he thought it was a good thing to be nice to his brother? No. Because here he was convinced that what he was doing to that person, he was doing to Christ. Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did it to me.